Hello everybody and welcome to the Kerning the Gap podcast. Uh, my name is Natalie Mayer, I am the founder of Kerning the Gap and I have the enormous pleasure of being the first interviewer or the first person in conversation uh, for our first ever podcast and I'm delighted today uh, to welcome friend of Kerning the Gap and our guest um, on this podcast, Catherine Allison. Hello. Catherine is founder of Master of the Art and an expert in communication skills and it felt like a very natural progression from our conversations around the art of communication and the power of that to help boost women's role in agency life and help combat some of the challenges that women face up against gender bias uh, and gender inequality in the design industry. Catherine and I have had lots of interesting conversations around this subject and it was an immediate thought of mine to say let's get that down um, digitally at some point and share it with everyone. So Catherine thank you so much for agreeing to do this. You are very welcome, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. So um, I gave Catherine quite a wide brief because that is my style. Um, <laughs> and Yeah you're, you're really welcome. Um, but broadly what we wanted to talk about was how communication skills can be a, a real asset when women are trying to push their careers forward and some of the challenges that they come up against. Um, and a bit of background on Catherine before starting Master of the Art, had spent 20 years in agency life, uh, worked on a number of clients, you know, Budweiser, Muller, Coke, uh, McVitie's, and had been very, very absorbed in the agency world. Interestingly, as well as in the early part of her career, uh, running that alongside uh, an acting career. So this seems to be quite a happy marriage between those two experiences that you're now a coach for agencies about how to better their communication skills and their presentation skills, uh, combining your experiences in both. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I found that everything that I learnt from the acting world was so beneficial to me in my day-to-day -day agency life. Mm. And, and really that's what led me to set up Master the Art because I realised that actually all these incredible physical skills, I suppose, that you learn as an actress were helping me communicate better mm. within the agency, were helping me feel more confident mm. um, in my role in agency life. And naturally you're talking to agencies all the time and it's not a specific gender crusade it's it's across no, the board it is across the board however I found it absolutely fascinating and and I still find it fascinating that every single time I do a training session with mm. agencies and first off what tends to happen is that when you're training the more junior members of staff there's there's a plethora of women mm. um, and some men um, but generally lots of women taking on more junior roles and every single time that I do a training session the question will arise from a woman in the room who says but how can I as a woman get my voice heard mm. or how can I get my point across more succinctly or indeed but how can I deal with my male senior client better yeah and I have to be honest it it shocked me mm. and it still shocks me every time that this consistently comes up mm. and so um, there, there's an obvious issue and we know there's an issue in terms of gender balance within agencies and with mm. businesses mm. overall and 
while I'm not an expert in how businesses can achieve gender balance, I do believe that there are things we can do as men and women mm. to help get the balance right. Um, yeah, I think that's really interesting that, that women are commenting on it through their own lens as a woman. Yes. So there, there's very much an acknowledgement that uh, as a woman I find it difficult to get my voice heard. Whereas I think if men were articulating some of the challenges, they'll not, that I, I've never heard a man say, as a man, I'm struggling to X, Y, Z. Exactly, exactly. And, it, and it, it's so interesting that women are, are still feeling that they are lacking something. Yeah. And that's what's important for me, actually. And, and I think it's an important point is that when we start talking about gender imbalance and trying to get more women into senior roles or, or feel more confident, there's this assumption that actually it's because women are, are lacking something. Yes. And we as women feel that we're lacking something yeah. and it shouldn't really be about that it should be a far more inclusive conversation yeah and yet I still believe that we as women and men as well can do a lot to help build women's confidence yeah. um, within the workplace I think that's and that's really what we want to drill into a bit more today yes. because I was saying to Catherine it's great to have we have these very um, broad ranging conversations across this whole topic of debate and mostly we're hypothesizing on how did we get where we are but actually I think it's really important to bring into that conversation really practical advice that yes. individuals can adopt but actually it's, it has to be complemented with what businesses can do to support the individuals within their companies because for me there's too much emphasis currently on woman you must lean in yeah and I think that's an opportunity and I think there are women who genuinely want advice and support in how they can have more influence yeah. at work and how they can overcome some of the things that, that that they're holding themselves back by but I also think it's really important that we're creating the environments where they can flourish and thrive at the same time. And you hinted on something there that's also really important to Kenny the Gap, which is about the gender equality, that men have to be a part of this conversation. Yeah. So there will be men who are experiencing all of these things that women are. I've I've had I've managed men who have been crippled by an inability to voice their opinion in a in a group scenario. Uh, so it's not all men uh, that that don't suffer with this. But I also think that for the leaders in our business who are predominantly men, we know the stats support that. How do they better understand this situation? This how do they better understand the dynamics within their businesses to encourage women to, to thrive? So, which brings us neatly into how do we get on with it. But before that, I think we, Catherine and I were talking about um, the, the, the evidence that this starts so young. Yes, and some of you may have heard, um, in fact it made the news headlines, um, I think about a month ago, about a recent study that showed that girls as young as six are less likely than boys to believe that members of their own gender are brilliant. <laughs> now, at age five, they see themselves as equals. Yeah. But then they get to age six, and girls are already thinking that boys are more clever than they are. Mm. It's a part, it's something that Cunning Gap are picking up on in terms of the roots of where this necessitates from. And I, I was sharing with Catherine earlier today that uh, 
around about the same time there was a, a news piece uh, published that said that the gender pay gap actually starts at pocket money and that um, girls have less pocket money than boys and boys are more likely to be given independent financial means so given money that they can spend and make their decisions around whereas girls are more likely to be bought gifts and, and not treated with that with that same kind of level of responsibility so it's unbelievable I, I, just, I cannot believe that that is happening no and yet I'm sure it is yes <laughs> absolutely so you kind of it brings you to a point where you think well no wonder this is happening in the workplace and, exactly. and we often speculate that it it starts very early in somebody's career about how how hard women negotiate their salaries in the beginning and the difference between men and women when they first come into the workplace yeah. and and we there was another study actually yeah. a couple of years ago um which asked people to rate whether or not they were um someone who had high self-esteem yeah and this was across um, many countries, and so regardless of culture or country, consistently men had far higher self-esteem. This is the blind and dorm. It, 48 countries. Yes, exactly. Culture, country, didn't make any difference. Didn't make any difference. And so we can read, you know, women have far less self-confidence. Yeah. So for me, it's about how we can address that confidence gap because clearly that's where the issue lies. Yeah. And seeing these women in the training courses that I run, constantly asking, but how can I feel more confident about how I'm putting my opinion forward? Yeah. Shows that there really is this confidence issues for women. Yeah. I, I, and it's a subject that Ken and the Gap are really sensitive about because we hear all the time women being labelled with this lack of confidence. Mm. And confidence is a spectrum as well, you know, you like you don't have it or not have it. You know, there are times where you feel more confident, there are times where you feel less confident. You know, it, it it's a it's a very um it's a meandering thing as opposed to a, a very definitive thing in, in my experience. I don't know, Catherine, whether you that's borne out. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think you can project authentic confidence, um, while not feeling confident inside, necessarily. Yeah. And there are little physical tips and tricks that can help. There's plenty of times that I don't feel as confident as I behave. Yes. And yet... Most of the time. I, I <laughs> <laughs> Most moments of most days. Yes, I can, I can relate to that. Yes. <laughs> I, I behave a lot more confident than I, than I necessarily feel. But, but that's experience that's taught me that there was nothing to be afraid of. Yeah, and, and I just think do it anyway. One of the key barriers is, is women, and again, I'm, I'm saying women, women or men, but not taking risks. Yeah. And women are far less likely to take risks than men are yeah and again that has been proven by various studies yeah um and actually the only way to build your confidence is to throw yourself in there yeah go for it yeah and yes it will be terrifying yeah but you're only ever going to learn from it yeah i think it's a really interesting point and and it's it's the cruel nature of confidence that you need it to get it. Yes. And once you've got it, you can have more of it. Exactly. But if you're at that crippling stage of, I don't feel confident in this scenario, or do you know what? You've taken a couple of knocks. Mm. And that's the thing people don't like to, 
talk about you know the the times you put yourself out there and got shot down or actually you nose it up or somebody criticized you and you took it incredibly personally and how that can affect you and 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 whittle away at what confidence you have yeah so that building that back up again is is that a fair reflection of your experience of working with people it is actually and um and i think it's really important that people understand how they can make their inner coach and their inner critic work and um there's a fabulous book by a lady called caroline goida and uh it's a book about gravitas and she has so many practical tips on how to um, have greater presence and gravitas, I suppose, and to speak with greater influence and authority. Yeah. Um, so I'd highly recommend it. But she talks about having these inner hel- helmsmen uh, in in your head, and how you need to understand how helms women helms women. <laughs> no, yes, let's be very politically correct about that one. Helms Given people. The, uh, helms, helms the helms people. Helms people. Continue. That's right. Uh, <laughs> And, um, and the two key members in your head yeah. are the, your inner coach mm. and your inner critic. Now, your inner coach is all about calm and celebration. Mm. So if you think about when you've done a presentation, for example, or even just chaired a meeting, or even just said one thing in a meeting, whatever your little mini goal is, um, it may be a major goal to you, yeah. um, but when you've challenged yourself to do something and you do it, how do you then praise yourself? Yeah. Often we have this little voice in our head which goes, do you know what? Yeah, well done. You did really well with that. And good work. But then there's also this inner critic, which should be about refinement. Mm. And my experience of working with women is that they hear their inner critic, and again, I'm making a sweeping statement because men will have this same issue as well. Mm. Um, but so often they hear this inner critic far, far too loudly in their head, and this critic takes on this attack role. And this critic in your head is going, you were useless at that. Mm. You might as well have not bothered, mm. honestly, rubbish, mm. when actually what you should train your inner critic to do is to go, well, you could have done certain parts of that better. Mm. And this is how you could have done it better. Mm. So it's about refinement, not about attack. Mm. And if you can train your inner coach and your inner critic to work well together, to meet each other, as Mm. it were, and to get the right balance between the two, then you're going to learn from each experience Mm. of speaking in public, putting your opinion across in a meeting, whatever it may be, And you're going to only get better. Yeah. I love that concept. And I had never heard it articulated in that same form before. Uh But I instantly recognise those two voices. And I think most people listening will recognise those two voices. And and you can almost imagine them in your head. Where are they in your head? Where is your inner coach in your head? Is it to the left, to the right? What sort of voice does that inner coach have? And then you can train yourself to dial it up or dial it down as you need to. So, for example, when you've done something well, make sure that you let your inner coach 
speak to you yeah. and praise you yeah. in a calm, celebratory way. But actually, the, the power of this thinking is not to dismiss the critic. Not at all. But actually, the critic can be an enormous help to you. The critic is what is going to help you refine what you do. And it's yeah. absolutely crucial to you gaining more gravitas, actually. Because it's that refinement that you need to help yeah. you on your journey to feeling more confident inwardly yeah. so that then you can project more confidence outwardly. Yes, I, I've, I've often heard it described as confidence and competence. And actually yeah. you need the combination of the two because to be all confidence yes. and no skills exactly. or competence makes you... Uh, people will soon see through that and it will Completely. drive you down. And then the opposite, there's no point having all the competence if you don't exert it with confidence. confidence. What, are the, what are the practical things that we can try today in a physical sense to make us feel more confident? Well, the first one is about non-verbal communication. Mm. So there are ways that we can work to hone our body language, mm. for example. Um, and there are a number of things that I'm going to reference here. Um, and I think it's important that you find what works for you yeah. as well. Some may not work for you. But I find that doing certain things before I walk into a room, perhaps before I work into the walk in, perhaps before I walk into the workplace, even for example, that will help me feel more confident. Simply pulling my body up mm. and standing tall. Mm. Power pose, they call it, don't they? And then I was going to say you can take it a step further. Yeah, and. Um, and in fact, the power pose, so imagine Mick Jagger style, pop star, arms spread, legs spread, you are lapping it up on a stage. Yeah. Um, I mean, try it. If anyone's listening, they're alone, or even if you're not. I'm going to do it right on now. On the tube home. You do it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Stand tall, arms apart, legs apart, really soak that in and see how it feels. Mm. Now, I don't know about you, but that works for me. Yeah. However... I yes, do caveat. have to point out that the power pose was meant to raise levels of testosterone. However, I should point out that the power pose, the science behind it, mm. in that it was meant to raise testosterone in people that did it, has since been discredited. Interesting. So it doesn't actually raise levels of testosterone no however i still think it works so if it works for you go for it how Friend, did you feel after doing it? i felt great and i i use it so there you go Brilliant. i, I use go. it i don't use it all the time but i uh, a friend of mine said that she'd read it in a book we were, we were sharing you know feminist stories as you do on friday night and that she had read about you can even do it in bed and you and it's the wonder yeah. woman or power pose so you can do it hands on hips as long as it's straight back, head up. And you can actually do that when you're laying in bed before you get up in the morning. So the first pose you make of the day is to lay wow. in bed with a, in that starship with your hands on your head and you will automatically enter into a more powerful state. I'm going to do that from now on I think every morning. Don't even explain to your husband why you're doing He's it. He's going to think I'm very odd, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> but then you'll be extraordinarily I'll powerful. I'll be so powerful and confident. But this relationship between our physical state and our mental state is well evidenced. Exactly. And I truly believe it works. So, um, again, try it. If it works for you, use it. Um, 
Another one in terms of body language, and again, I'm making a sweeping statement, but mm. women tend to want to be liked mm. desperately. Mm. And when we want to be liked, we end up having these raised eyebrows. Please like me, raised eyebrows. And we start nodding our heads. And we're like, yes, yeah, nod. Agreeable, Constantly I'm nodding. Yeah, yeah, I'm just going to, yeah, yeah. And your eyebrows are up and your, your head's nodding like some crazy thing. Yeah, if you could see me now, <laughs> you'd realise <laughs> how confirm. silly I looked. She looks like a crazy thing. <laughs> so to make you feel more confident, try to minimise the amount of nodding you do. And mm. Try not to do too many, please like me, raised eyebrow mm. looks. Um, because you'll automatically feel that you have more authority and more status. Um, so I'd really recommend trying that. If you feel that you're someone that's a, a nodder and a... Just stop nodding. Just stop I, nodding. I think that's really powerful. And I'm a massive advocate for not doing, not putting yourself under the pressure of extremes. I will never nod again. I'm never going to... Just experiment. Just try it. Say... This exactly. next meeting, I'm going to nod less and see how I feel. And then it's that feeling that you can then bring into your next. Because actually, if you're wanting to get across the impression of greater gravitas, mm. um, which is so linked to confidence, of course, yes. then gravitas is about this calm stillness. And so hence why nodding immediately detracts from it. Yeah, interesting. Really interesting. And then smiling as well. If... Depending on the scenario, and if you're someone that feels that you need to up your status in a particular scenario, don't overdo the smiling. That's not to say don't smile at all, because then you probably come across as quite aggressive mm. and overdoing the status play. Um, but only smile when it feels really natural. Yeah. Um, and again, we tend to just be like, I'm going to smile constantly, and then I'm going to sort of <laughs> and laugh a bit and smile again and nod my head and yeah. please like me. Yeah. And and actually, sometimes that that can make you feel less confident. Yes. Um, in certain work environments. I'm going to try that. I'm not sure how much I smile and laugh in in meetings. And and yes, I'm hesitant to say don't smile and laugh. It's such a <laughs> fabulous thing to do and I know I do it all the time. <laughs> but I think it's I think that's a really important point. It's about how you feel. Yeah. Because if you genuinely feel like you want to break into a beaming smile and laugh and yes, then do and the, it. And the meeting is going that way and that's how everyone's yeah. feeling. But if you're the only person who's doing that, yes. I think that's probably your gauge on the room. And if you think I'm I this is a response I'm I'm creating because I'm anxious exactly. or I feel like I need to be liked and it's making me feel nervous. And I know that I've fallen into that trap, definitely. Of yeah. suddenly turning into a slightly giggly, slightly pathetic girl. Yeah. Especially when faced with a room full of men. Yeah. And and I think, oh, why have I done that? Yeah. And yet that's who I am, so I shouldn't be ashamed of it. No. But I think it's about managing it in the right way. Great. So that's our non-verbal communication. What about our verbal communication? Well, I think there's a lot that we can all do to fine-tune our verbal communication yeah. and to help us feel more confident and really to project greater credibility, I suppose, which yeah. in turn, of course, gives you more confidence. Yeah. Um, we all tend to use fillers when we're talking. Mm. We throw mm. in, but also <laughs> the I'm like, it's like, I'm sort of, yeah. I'm kind of thinking of, and we almost 
pussyfoot around what we're trying to say yeah. and throw fillers in there because we're scared of pauses. Just, oh, I've just got to fill the silence and yeah. keep talking and it doesn't really matter what I'm saying and I'm just going to like, you know, sort of uh, maybe kind of do well, maybe. So we need to train ourselves mm. to cut out those fillers and really try to get to the point. And if you're faced with a situation where you're in a meeting and you want to get your point across... Before speaking, actually think about what it is that you want to say. What is the point that you want to say? What's the headline? Expand a bit, wrap up. Give yourself a tiny bit of time just to allow yourself to prepare in your head what you're going to say. Mm. And if you're able to, if, for example, you have a very important client's call Mm. and you know that you've got a fairly difficult conversation coming up, Be very clear about how you're going to structure what you're saying because that will make you feel so much more confident when you actually get to the point of speaking to that client. Does that make sense? It totally makes sense. The the thought I immediately had as we were were talking about that, I was thinking, everyone I know that's got gravitas does exactly that. They don't use fillers. They pause before they speak. It can be incredibly difficult. Certainly, in my experience as well, personally, when you've got a room that's dominated by men who will talk over one another Mm -hmm. and the conversation is quite combative or, you know, and it's hard to get a word in edgeways, it's quite hard to have that pause because you're trying to get, you're trying to get in. But actually, then I thought it through in my own head and thought, well, while you're waiting to get a word in edgeways, work out what it is you're going to say. Because if you say that with absolute conviction, total... Um, punctuation Mm. it'll have so much more impact than the continuous sparring of conversation that's going on around you absolutely and there's another tip also if you are going into a room full of men and you are the only woman try to get your voice heard first and by that I mean when you walk in say hello I'm Catherine yeah so that the people in the room are tuned in to the tone and the timbre of your voice and they will naturally then tune in more to what you're saying. How interesting. And this is a really good tip. In fact, I heard it on Women's Hour, I believe. Even better. Even better. Fabulous. And, um, and there's, there's various studies which sort of back up why women's voices often aren't heard. It's, because, it's actually because of the, the tone yeah. of their voice is different. It's often higher, always, obviously. Yeah. And, and it's almost as if the people in the room need to tune into it, lock into it first. And I think it's also really important to make sure that whenever you're speaking, you don't suddenly go into using long words, um, long sentences, and try to be someone that you're not. Yeah. And I think we're so worried about how we're coming across yeah. and what we're saying, that we overcompensate and think, well, I'm go- just going to bamboozle people with my spectacular vocabulary and, yeah. and everything that I know, and I'm just going to keep talking. And, and it, it suddenly comes across as very odd yeah. and very inauthentic. So I think for, for women everywhere, I think it's so important to be true to who you are and not feel that you have to suddenly bamboozle with knowledge and long words. So I would always recommend simple, short, 
sentences and simple language. And actually, a good tip is to think, what if I were a confident person? Mm. Or what if I was someone with authority and status? How would I behave in this scenario? Yeah. And that can really help you. And then you can reply to that question and play around with the questions and, and say to yourself, well, actually, I would present this like this. Yeah. And, and it can really help you in I've, terms of how you move forward. I so want to endorse that because I read a book about the power of role models and whether they're real and known to you or whether they're just someone that you look at and go, that person, I want to act and behave like that person. You can actually channel that. And, I, and I'll say, what would such and such do in this scenario? And you can emulate that. And it gives exactly. you the tone, the pace, the language that you might use. And until you find your own authentic way of doing that, playing, yes, <laughs> acting indeed. at something, to, till it becomes a comfortable way of behaving, is a really powerful thing to employ. Attitude is your third point. Attitude is my third point. And it's it sort of linked, I suppose, to, um, to the body language and to our verbal communication as well. But we so often are focused on, as I said before, wanting people to like us. And we focus on the relationship. And often what we need to focus on actually is the task Mm. not the relationship mm. and get to the point yeah and that comes back to the verbal communication that we were just talking about so i think we need to not always but when the situation is right we need to avoid always trying to be someone's friend mm. and i think it's really important for um for women who want to take on more yeah. senior roles in agencies and that's not to say that every woman would have this particular leadership style, no. but I think it's it's something that um, so many of us could do well to focus on. I I really really endorse that, and I think um, the thing that made the difference for me was realizing that there are times where the team and my clients need that from me. Mm. They need it to be to the point. It's a difficult subject. They want leadership. Yeah. They want they're strength. Looking they, they're looking to, to be you. Authoritative. Absolutely, to have authority and to have confidence and to say that the, the, the issue in hand is more important in that moment than all of the fluff and taking the edge yeah. off and, 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 and reassure me that our relationship is still fine. Yeah. It's and yet, of course, important. there will be times when the relationship part of it is the most important absolutely part. And it's right. understanding how and when you can make that switch. So the fourth point is about focusing your attention. And what I mean by that is taking your attention away from yourself yeah. and putting it onto the other person that you are with or the other people in the room. Because so often we are desperately worrying about what we're going to say next mm. and how what we're going to say next is going to come across. And what we should be doing is asking interesting questions to the people in the room mm. and learning about them and doing all we can to find out about that person. And immediately, as soon as you think about that and take the attention off yourself mm. and focus on, truly focus on the other people you're with, suddenly all that anxiety goes away. Because so often people mistake being interesting to be talking about myself yes and 
That is not the case. It's not. At all. Ask questions, listen, truly listen. Yeah. And then you don't have to have all this stress about what the hell am I going to say next? Yeah. And how am I going to come across? Because then you're having a natural, normal conversation. Yes. Yeah, and that's the point, isn't it? Is yeah. that if you were sitting at your kitchen table with your best mate, you'd be listening to her. You would. And uh, and you would respond according. You wouldn't think, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And that's, that's, the, that's the natural way of conversation exactly and then you would naturally appear as a far more confident and yeah. authentic person yeah very interesting and the final point mm. and this is a moot point and I slightly hesitate to bring it up but I wrote scrutinise how you look and I highlighted it I saw that <laughs> <laughs> and I can understand why why I, I thought Surely Catherine doesn't even begin to think that uh, there is a way we should conform in the way that we look. And um, I'm confident that the answer to that is obviously not. Obviously not. However, I am someone who, if I want to feel confident Mm. walking into a room, or particularly if I'm presenting or public speaking, I like to wear high heels Mm. because it makes me feel confident Mm. and if I'm not wearing high heels I think I feel as if I'm at home feeding the cat or looking after the kids yeah and so this is why I included this point Mm. because if there is something that you can do something that you can wear or a particular look that you can give yourself that gives you more confidence Mm. then go for it and I couldn't support it more. Um, anyone that knows me personally will uh, know that I'm already pretty tall and I love high heels. They make me stand and feel in a different way. I wear them for me, wholly for Absolutely. me. Absolutely, so do I. Because they change my state. It's the same as the power pose. There's something about it that elevates it and it becomes more like a totem. And the other is my uniform, which is a red lipstick. And before I go into a big meeting, even the ritual of putting it on puts me in a different headspace. So it's not even how I want people to respond to me. Because actually, a tall woman in high heels with red lipstick can be seen as quite aggressive, because, of course, gender stereotypes. Um, But it's how I feel about me in that moment, and that's the most important. So I completely support... That point. That point. <laughs> you. <laughs> so I think I'd said before that we would we would round out on. I'm really keen to make sure that the conversation around gender equality, as much as we focus in on supporting the individual, that all the onus isn't on the individual. Um, I think that the lean-in phenomena has been tremendously valuable to mm-hmm. the women's debate. I love it as a book. I love Sheryl Sandberg. I think there's huge amounts that I've got from it personally and that the entire equality community has got from it. However, I feel like the conversation has been bitterly skewed towards that to the point where we're almost pointing the finger at women and saying, this is what you need to do to solve the equality issue. Uh, Personally, I think equality is a humanitarian issue. I don't think it's a business case. It's about our right to be viewed as equals in the workplace. But we've been talking today about 
tips and techniques that the individual can use to help boost their confidence, their happiness around that scenario because I, the, solution, the situation is not going to be solved tomorrow. But a big question that we must be asking the industry is how do we change our businesses and make our agencies into environments where women can flourish and thrive? And there will hopefully be a lot of people listening to this podcast who are in leadership positions. I'm really hoping it's a mixture of men and women who are asking themselves, how can I be a better leader? How can I create an environment where a woman who is taking all of this personal responsibility about how she is more effective in the workplace, how can I create an environment where she's able to do that? Well, as we all well know, gender balance is successful or it fails at the top. Yeah. So for me, it's a responsibility of agency CEOs to set the tone right at the top and even if your agency has done a lot of hard work in terms of helping women with women's networks with women's mentoring yeah it's still coming from the point of fixing the women and actually what agencies need to be doing or businesses overall need to be doing is thinking about how they can fix their company. Mm. And they should be looking at their business and thinking, well, why is it that I can't attract, retain, recruit Mm. these women in my business? Mm. And they need to understand the numbers, actually, about their business. Mm. Um, And then start using language that is going to appeal to both men and women within the business and I think it's important for agency leaders to not simply have gender equality or gender balance as as a tick box that they have to get to they need to make it a lever and so that then that filters down throughout the whole agency Mm. And that it's not just about, oh, well, there's women at the top because we have to have women at the top. Yeah. It's almost the fact that it's men or women is taken out of the equation. Mm. And actually, there's this um, a lady called Aviva Wittenberg-Cox, who is CEO of a business called 21st, and she helps businesses, corporate businesses, um, try to achieve gender balance. But I love the way she talks about um, companies being gender blind mm. and actually how they should be moving towards being gender bilingual. Yeah, lovely. Which I find a brilliant way of yeah. talking about it. Because businesses may not even be aware that the way that they're talking, right from the CEO down to the bottom, is naturally skewed towards a more masculine approach. Yeah. So businesses need to work hard and agency CEOs need to work hard at the language that they're using so that they're not alienating the women, but mm. equally so that they're not alienating the men who may well be the dominant force within the workplace. Yes, and, and I think that complements those leadership commitments to gender equality of recognising that men and women are part of the same species but have had different upbringings. We've started the top of this conversation by saying at the age of six, between five and six, something changes and we recognise ourselves as being a different and occasionally inferior gender, 
if you're managing a workplace that's got those personalities within it, you have a responsibility to acknowledge the fact that that's the dynamic of your workplace. Exactly. And by embracing it and saying, I'm going to be bilingual, it's not to say one is better than the other. It's not also to say, you're all the same. We deserve the same opportunities. But we're not all the same. No two individuals are the mm. same. And there has to be that nuance in it. And I think that's complemented with a commitment to um, mentoring and coaching within our businesses, where we are encouraging the inner coach, silencing or refining the inner critic, mm-hmm. encouraging people's verbal and non-verbal communication and, and helping. I, I naturally recognise my influence and I check it mm. all the time. That's a commitment I, I have to stand by because I have influence. And if everyone in every business did that, I think we'd see quite radical changes in the way that some women feel in, in businesses, not just agency life, but across the board. So as we finish up, Catherine, which of all of the things that we've talked about has had the biggest influence and made the biggest change in you personally? Well, I would say it's something that I'm still working on, and that is understanding my inner critic and making sure that I'm using the inner critic in the right way so that I'm using it for refinement and not for attack because my default is, you were rubbish, you were rubbish, you were rubbish, constantly. And so I am still learning to turn that down and to try to get my inner coach uh, to speak a little more loudly, to give me that calm and that celebration when I deserve it. Um, Catherine, thank you sincerely. Thank you. It's been brilliant. I've loved it. We are going to um, publish some of those key points on our website. So that's going to become a blog as well. So if you want to refer back to any of this and share that material as well internally, um, because everything we do on Cone of the Gap is about practical takeaways that you can use to improve your businesses as well as stimulate the debate and encourage you. Um, so um, on behalf of Cone in the Gap um, and on International Women's Day, uh, thank you for listening.